That is a blessing, gentlemen. Appreciate that very, very much. Again, want to express gratitude to Brother Mike Timmerman. Uh, thank you very much uh, for all of the investment that you make in young people that you've made in the military and how you've passed that heritage on. And I appreciate personally how serious you have taken that over the years and how well you represent that and how you pour that into the lives of young men and young women. And the seriousness with which they approach this is a reflection of the leadership there at CUNA High School. And so I'm thankful for you, Brother Mike, very, very much. And then if I mispronounce these names, I hope y'all will forgive me, but we were privileged to have as a part of this color guard, Kylie, Aiden, Angel, and Evelyn. And so as you go, um, don't make it weird for them, but at least express gratitude to them on the way out. Um, Andrew and I are going to be taking them to get a hamburger. And so I may not be staying around here as long because I don't want them to have to wait on me. And so we're going to feed them something. Maybe it's not a hamburger. I don't know, but we'll do something anyway. Sure are thankful for you guys being here with us this morning. Brother Felipe, that was a blessing. I don't know where yet. I just, I really appreciate that very much. Appreciate your service. And then Brother Max, appreciate what you said to our veterans, to all of you, men, women, current and past Thank you very much. Guys, it was a great special. I'm telling you, um, the national anthem, you ought to know that song. You're like, well, that was written by a bunch of colonizers. Okay, don't get me started on that. Look, there's not a nation in history that is perfect. There is no perfect nation. And this nation has a history of giving other nations the opportunity to have freedom that has not been experienced in the world over. And I'm not proud of our flaws, but I am not ashamed to be an American either. And you can be both things. No, no, you can be both things. And it is a travesty that we are raising generations of young men and young women that don't know that, that first verse of that song. And we can quote movies, and we can know social media, but you can't sing your national anthem. It ought not to be so. People paid far too high of a price for us to be so casual about something so important to us and so meaningful. And you're like, well, I don't know if I agree with all that. That's fine. That's fine. So praise the Lord. Anyway. <laughs> all right. Um, now that I got off of that soapbox, it's actually not a soapbox. I'm pretty confident in that position that I have. But Let's open our Bibles to Luke chapter 9, since you're all feeling awkward and uncomfortable right now. <laughs> Luke chapter 9, back in the Mount of Transfiguration. Luke chapter 9, some of you are already doing it. If you would, please stand to honor God's word as we read it, and thank you for doing that. Luke chapter 9, beginning on, at verse number 28. So, last Sunday we preached about being awake to the power of the one who can transform you. Being awake to the one who can transform you. Uh, this, will I, we may do one more message after this. This may be the last one, don't know. I'm going to look at a lot of details, but there's a second point that has been impressed upon my heart and if God will use it, we'll give him the glory for it. In verse 28, and it came to pass about an eight days after these sayings, he took Peter, John, and James and went up into a mountain to pray. And as he prayed, the fashion of his countenance was altered and his raiment was white and glistening. 
And behold, there talked with him two men, which were Moses and Elias, who appeared in glory and spake of his decease, which he should accomplish at Jerusalem. But Peter and they that were with him were heavy with sleep. So they're asleep. This begins to go on, and they wake up while this is going on. And when they were awake, they saw his glory in the two men that stood with him. And it came to pass, as they departed from him, meaning Moses and Elijah or Elias, Peter said unto Jesus. Have you ever opened your mouth and then realized, maybe I shouldn't be opening my mouth right now? Maybe I need to gather a little more information. Peter said unto Jesus, Master, it is good for us to be here. True. Everything else after that, not. And let us make three tabernacles, one for thee and one for Moses and one for Elias. And then this statement could sum up so much of what believers say on a daily basis. Now I'll say it again. This statement sums up so much of what I have been guilty of saying on a daily basis. What we say as husbands, what we say as wives, what we say as parents, what we say as single adults, what we say as young people, what we say to our friends, not knowing what he said. While he thus spake, there came a cloud and overshadowed them, and they feared as they entered into the cloud. And there came a voice out of the cloud saying, this, uh, get it, not these guys, this is my beloved son. Hear him. And when the voice was passed, Jesus was found alone. And they kept it close and told man in those days any of those things which they had seen. So the Mount of Transfiguration, here's the title, The Unawareness of the Aware. The Unawareness of the Aware. You may be seated. Thanks so much for standing Last week we talked about sleepwalking. I've never, that I'm aware of, <laughs> slept walk. At least nobody's produced any video evidence that I have. But here's what I have been guilty of. Have you ever, have you ever, ladies, in particular, had a dream and you woke up mad? And you didn't bother finding out why you were mad. You just felt mad and the fact that your feelings felt that way was enough evidence for you. Now look, you ladies can sit there and stare darts at me, and I love how the husbands just kind of tighten up and refuse to look to the right or to the left. They're like, no, I'm not playing that game. Because some of you came to church that way. You're mad about something that didn't happen, but your emotions are real. Yeah. Well, guys can be guilty of that nonsense too. Oh, man, how'd some ladies decide to participate there? Yeah, that's good. No, guys can be guilty of that. We were, this has happened more than once, and I didn't want to get all the details of it because my wife would remember it. She's sitting over here. If you want to confirm these things or find out how ridiculous I have been, feel free to talk to her sitting right over here. Um, uh, But uh, we were were driving um, from, we were driving home, and uh, we, we were doing it pile style, which, is, which means you don't stop um, for the 23, 4, 5 hours, depending on the amount of bathroom breaks you have to take with eight kids. 
And so we were driving from Oklahoma. I don't remember what we were doing, maybe dropping off a kid, something like that. So we're driving, but then it does what it does in this part of the country. It starts snowing in Wyoming. We start having to go a little bit slower. I hit a wall. I mean, I don't know how long I've been driving. I just, I'm, I'm done, and so I know I need to pull over. So I pull over, and Andrea starts, Andrea starts driving. And, I mean, we're driving through, like, six inches of snow, and I wake up right about the time we're passing a semi. In all of this snow. And it literally, literally, I don't ask, how's it going? I don't make sure I'm actually awake to see what's happening. I'm like, what are you doing? It was something, it was something like that. I don't, I don't know what else happened. I think she probably just rolled her eyes and was like, what are you doing? Like, I'm the one driving through the snow right now. You see, sometimes... We can be unaware that we're not really aware. We think we're aware, but not really. Here in our text, as a reminder, the transfiguration was not Jesus becoming something different. The transfiguration was Jesus momentarily allowing all that he really is to be temporarily visible. He's allowed Peter, James, and John, and why only those three? Why he structured his leadership development that way? I don't understand all of it, but I know that he did. And so he has this inner circle of Peter, James, and John, and he brings them, and they begin to fall asleep, not because they had no concern, but there was just a weakness, a physical weakness. They fall asleep while he is praying, and through the door of prayer, he enters this transfigured state. One commentator says this, the miracle was not him being transfigured. The miracle was him keeping all of who he is contained and hidden from everybody else the entire time that he was on this earth. And so who he really is becomes manifest. I want to spend a few minutes just talking about it. To what, uh, in describing to what the disciples, when they woke up, what they woke up to. In verse 29, it says that the fashion of his countenance was altered. In another place, it says that his face shone like the sun. Now, that's not an exaggeration, and you will read what the Bible says about God on his throne and about Jesus who inhabits all of eternity, and his face, his countenance is one that, that causes the sun to not seem as bright, what radiates from him. It says that his body, his raiment was white and glistening. I think about those times when I've been out at night during a thunderstorm. I love thunderstorms, and I love thunderstorms at night, and when it's just, it's so dark and ominous, and yet you have those momentary flashes of lightning, and it just radiates everything that's around you, and it's just phenomenal. That's the idea of white and glistening. It's this radiant brightness that is hard for us to even comprehend, and then there are with him these two men talking that would have had national significance to the nation of Israel, Moses and Elijah. 
Moses was significant because of the law, and much of Israel would consider him have then, and maybe even now, although I don't, I don't know how to confirm this, but would have considered him to be their greatest leader in the history of their nation. And you know that from the way that the enemies of Jesus referenced Moses so many times. They had a, in their minds, they had a deep respect for him, although it was very misguided and understood. So Moses, being the one who led them out of the bondage of Egypt, being the one through whom God gave the law, Peter and James and John would see Moses and they'd say, man, it's, it's amazing that he's here. And then they saw Elijah who represented the prophetic power that God put upon different men for different seasons and different purposes. And, and you think about the victory that Elijah led the nation of Israel against the prophets of Baal and how he demonstrated the rightness and the power of God in an undeniable way. And he would have been revered nationally. And so they see these men and, and how they were used in, in the nation. And then they were different because of the way that they went to be with God. Moses died and his, ba- his body was battled over by Michael, the archangel, Elijah didn't die but was taken up in a chariot of fire. And so they're there in these glorified bodies similar to the the radiance of Jesus Christ. And there's awareness and there's interaction. They They know them and they're communicating with the Lord. Side note here. There is a lot that scripture doesn't tell us about heaven. On purpose. But not having all the information, one, doesn't mean that the information we do have isn't true. And it doesn't mean that there aren't conclusions we can't come to based on what we do know when the veil is pulled back on things that go on outside of our realms that are outside of our visibility. You're like, this sounds weird to me. Well, it's only weird if you don't believe the Bible. God created you. You may deny it. You may live in denial of it, but God created you to be an eternal being. No, God created mankind different than every other part of his creation. God values all of his creation. I would even say he loves all of his creation. God cares about it, and God wants us to take care of it in a way that honors him. But the most valuable part of his creation are the people that inhabit this earth. And contrary to current political agendas and fantasies, people are not People are not the lesser part of this creation. People are the crowning jewel of this creation because the Bible says that God breathed into the nostrils of humanity, the breath of life, and man became a living soul. It's people that Jesus first and foremost died for. And it's his desire that when this temporary body and its existence is over on this earth that the life to come be enjoyed by everyone he's not willing that any should perish you say how is that possible through faith in Jesus who died and rose again who paid for your sins and desires to save look it's not a church that gives eternal life it's not a dress code that gives eternal life it's not a particular doctrinal persuasion that gives eternal life it's faith in Jesus Christ alone and his sufficiency that gives eternal life And we can see some things about eternity here in this interaction. Number one, when you die as a child of God, if you're saved, you're not just floating around in unawareness. No, the Bible tells us that we'll be known and we will know. It does. They knew Moses and Elijah. How? Because you're known. 
Uh, one guy said this, you won't need name tags in heaven. You're going to know. Number two, it's going to be awesome. <laughs> no, so I was, driving, I was driving around the other day. I was, I was running an errand, and I was over in the neighborhood of Paul and Sonia near there. I was driving by there, and it's a road I've driven many times while Sonia was fighting her battle with cancer. And I just thought about all the visits I had made over there, and I just looked up into the sky, and I just started thinking about this. Sis, I wonder how you're doing right now. And you start thinking about Pastor Cook. Start thinking about Brother George. Start thinking about Miss Carol. I could just keep going on, uh, just with the people that have gone on to heaven. And this, there's a lot that I can't answer, but they're not just floating around in oblivion. There is an awareness, and there is a perfection. And if God is able to make this life so good with the presence, in, in all the presence of evil that we deal with in ourselves and around us, how much better is the perfect heaven with no sin going to be? A body that never gets sick. A body that can never be broken. A heart that can never be led astray. It's amazing. And so they are talking in verse 31. Notice this. This is amazing. They spake of his decease, which he should accomplish at Jerusalem. Mm, I don't know exactly what they were talking about. About it. Maybe they... We're there to encourage. Now, I, I know that almost sounds blasphemous, but you do remember that Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane prayed, God, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. Now, I don't, I don't know what they talked about it, but they were talking about the fact that he was there to be the redemption of all mankind for all of eternity. And then they leave. So here's kind of the point. The point of all of that display, that divine display of the curtain being pulled back momentarily on Jesus Christ and the goings on in heaven and the bridge between the kingdom of God in heaven and the work of the kingdom being done on earth. The, the point of all of that display is this. It's to affirm the person and his purpose. That moment was about affirming who Jesus is and affirming the purpose that he came here to do. So in verse 32, Peter, James, and John wake up as this is all going on. Now, look, I've woken up to some things, like my child standing in my bed, pounding me in the face. But this is unlike anything I've ever woken up to. And so they wake up to it, and they see it. They see Jesus and recognize him in this glorified state. They recognize Moses and Elijah. How can they have recognized him? Well, because you're known yeah, no, don't make this more complicated than it is because you're known. As a child of God, you will know. In eternity, you will know those who are known. Like, I don't know how that's possible. Well, it is with God, so don't let your brain collapse during the service. There's a greater point to be made. And so they know him, and they see this, and all this is going on. And right away, Peter comes to a conclusion based on very limited awareness. Please get it. He's unaware that he's not aware. 
He thinks, and we don't know how long he observed, but he thinks that with ever, however much time he observed these things, that that gives him the proper authority to come to a conclusion that he is now going to declare to everyone, it's great to be here. Sounds like a preacher. It's great to be here today. <laughs> Let's take up an offering. It's great to be here. Man, we got you, and we got Moses, and we got Elijah, our three heroes. Let's make a tabernacle. It's talking about an altar, some type of pillar that they would erect by stacking together specific stones that would pay tribute to these three men. Let's, let's make these physical memorials to honor you, to honor Moses, to honor Elijah. Can I... Can I just tell you how my brain works? I'm wondering what James and John are doing right now. You're seeing this thing that you really don't fully comprehend. And now Peter's like, yep, I got a plan, fellas. And knowing Peter, he probably didn't even run it by them. He's just like, this is what we should do. And I wonder, I just wonder, are they like, stop talking, shut up, Peter, stop talking, Think about all the other times where he's opened his mouth. Or maybe they're sitting there like, man, why didn't I think to say that? Such a good idea. I mean, what's the next time I'm going to get to see Moses and Elijah? Look, I don't know that any of that was going on. I'm just curious. So they're saying that. Peter, sorry, is saying that with intentions that I believe are good. Please hear me. Please hear me. His intentions were not bad. But he was far off base. Suddenly, there's this ominous cloud coming in. And they fear. In verse 34, while he thus spake, there came a cloud and overshadowed them. And they feared as they entered into the cloud. Yeah, I'd say that's a good response to a holy God. It's not this casual carelessness like, yo, God, what's up? But a recognition that this is the God of all the ages who holds the power of life and death in his hand, who gives us the privilege to breathe his air in his creation and before whom all people will give an account one day. I would say there should be some caution in your heart before him. And so as this cloud moves in, there's this deafening voice that silences out every thought that Peter, James, and John were having. This, not Moses and Elijah, but this, this one, this Messiah, whom I've already, already verbally affirmed at his baptism, this Messiah is my beloved son. It's kind of like John 14. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. No, he is exclusively the one you need to be listening to. This is my beloved son. Hear him. There's no one like Jesus. There's no one like the Son. What was Peter's problem? He assessed something that he wasn't fully aware of. Look, we're almost to the point. Please stay with me. There were some other ways that Peter could have responded than making this declaration based on limited awareness. How about this? Jesus, you're amazing. No, 
Just talking about how amazing Jesus is is different than saying, well, Moses is amazing and Elijah is amazing. Jesus, you're amazing too. No, no, no. No one else is on the same level as Jesus Christ. There's only one name before whom all the nations will bow, and that is the name of Jesus. And no one else compares to him. And the glory that Moses and Elijah experienced in that moment wasn't their own. It was the glory of God being shared with them through the veil and the sacrifice of eternal life in Jesus Christ. How about this? You ready? I know this is hard. Uh, Jesus, what does all this mean? We have a hard time admitting that we don't know everything. <laughs> no, I can tell just by the way you're looking at me right now. How dare you tell me every conclusion in my life has not been perfect. Okay, I'll tell you again. Every conclusion in your life, whether you're 14 or 84, has not been perfect. So what do I do? Jesus you let me be here with you. What does this mean? How about this? Jesus, what were you talking about with them? And what is the significance of it? Here's Peter's problem. He was unaware that he wasn't aware. I could talk about the unawareness of our nation. We're living in a nation that is unaware that we aren't aware. No, we are a nation that has decided we know better than God, better than his design. Better than unquestionable biology that has not been questioned to the degree that it's being challenged today. We reject the truth of God and still claim his blessings. We think that we can make ourselves a, a nation that God will bless just by saying, God bless America, as though that's some kind of magical formula. Look, we're just going to gather on the Capitol steps. We're going to sing a song. We're going to have this great soloist who any other time, the only, the only time they mention the name of God is to curse or swear in some vile music video, but they're going to get up there and sing at some inauguration or some special event where we're going to unite America, God bless America, I mean, that just means we're a Christian nation. No, not really. Not really. We think that we can oppress the poor and manipulate judgment. You know, God still cares about the less fortunate. And we, we live in a culture in America that isn't interested in lifting people up. It's lifted, it's interested in maximizing earning potential at the cost of everyone else regardless of the consequences. No, it's true. We talk about other issues. We're unaware we think that we can water down our military with social advocacy rather than training soldiers to actually fight bad guys the way that they need to be. Understand the things that I'm saying aren't politically correct. But we are living in a nation that claims awareness and yet is so unaware. And I, wanted, I want you to get a distinction here. And God convicted me about this. Man, I, I talk all day about those things. Peter's a child of God. No, Peter. He's a child of God. No, he's a believer. He's already following Jesus. He's already serving God. It wasn't some lost individual who doesn't know Jesus or care about him that was unaware. It was one of the men who walked the closest with 
him. The unawareness of this child of God who thought himself to be so aware. Let me give you an illustration. And one of the most striking examples of humans building expensive properties in, in flood-prone areas, Miami's wealthy are completely ignorant of the fact that sea levels can change. Look, have you ever, have you ever stayed in a beachside house? I mean, like, just stayed in it. Some of you are like, no, like, I think you own one. I'm not, like, if you do, I'll give you my number. But that's not what I'm talking about. No, no, I'm, I'm talking about, have you ever been at one? Look, it's cool. Oh, yeah, look, I like the ocean. Ocean is amazing. Under the sea is Fantastic. No, it's just incredible. God's creation there, up here, down there. It's just phenomenal. And we ought, to, we ought to be wise with it. No, it's a gift from God. It affects different things in our ecosystem. We ought to be aware of those processes. But this is something else we also ought to be aware of. That water fluctuates. Ask me about my doctorate. I'm about to say something really, really unintelligent, and I'm sorry. Ask me about my doctorate in the things of the ocean and the tides and the weather. I don't have one. You know what I can do? I can observe that the tides fluctuate. I can observe that ocean levels throughout history have gone up and gone down. It fluctuates. These things fluctuate. And that people in the past have built really close to water. And over time, there was erosion. And that house isn't there anymore. And yet there are people who, because of their wealth, because of their, I'm not, look, I'm not talking about comfortable retirement. I'm talking about elite, less than 1% wealth. The 1% of the wealthy people, they have this elite arrogance about them because of the resources available to them. And they never have to think about money. And they go and build in places that are highly questionable because of the long-term effects of erosion and the fluctuations of tides and how water levels can rise and fall. And so they build here. And they're saying this, no. I'm aware. You know what they're not? Aware. But they're not aware that they're not aware. You know what's tragic? Is that believers can be unaware that they're not aware. There are churches today embracing the culture for the sake of attracting attendance. We try new church techniques because you know better than God. I, I love this quote from Pastor Hardy. Not one, event, one invention in the last 2,000 years has added any power to the life of the church. No, 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 no. That goes over way too many people's heads. Not one invention in the last 2,000 years has added any measure of power to the life of a local church. Their church is trying to hold on to power rather than tapping into his power. Church is trying to control people's lives rather than helping them follow Jesus' life. Churches have become social clubs and boxes to check and have ceased to be the pillar and the ground of the truth that Jesus intended them to be. Churches where pastors ask for permission about what to preach rather than to simply declare, thus saith the Lord. Churches where people sit in pews and chairs and they're more concerned about their social status and their 
cliques and their friend group than they are people on the other side of the sanctuary or people that are walking these streets, people that they go to work with that need to know the love of God. There are churches that are more aware of their political positions than they are of the world's need for the gospel. You know what we are? We are unaware that we are not aware. And individuals here this morning, right here, are unaware that you aren't aware. No, we're like Peter. We're aware of the idea of God, and we decide this is what it means, and we declare it like Peter. Oh, no, I'll say it again. We tell God what it means to us. Peter was literally telling Jesus what all that should mean. And this is what we do. We assemble with preconceived ideas, with preferences, with past experiences, and they have more weight than the revelation of God in our lives, in how we view God. And we tell God what he's going to mean to us instead of allowing God to tell us what he should mean to us. Some of you are unaware that you aren't really all that aware you're so confident in the direction of your life but the truth is you're completely unaware of the danger and cost and the reaping of the decisions you're making down the road now young people get this you think man in this age of information and technology i know so much more than previous generations. And this is, the, this is the smartest generation and the access that we have to information. But this is what I'm finding out to be true in my own life and in the lives of those that I minister to and the lives of those that I observe. Having access to more information isn't helpful if it's the wrong kind of information. And sometimes what we need is less information and we need more accountability for the things that we have right here in front of us. And you, you, look at me, girls, you're so aware of social media and trends and so unaware of the danger of following your heart instead of submitting to the word of God. So aware, young men, of what's cool and what I ought to do and what I want to do and my passion instead of being aware, so unaware of the danger when I rebel against the parental authority that God has placed in my life. Some of, you are, some of you in this room are so aware of other people's faults, but you're so unaware of your own. It'd take you .3 seconds to start naming off the faults of somebody's that, somebody that's hurt you. And you spend the bulk of your life and your time and your emotional energy focusing on the flaws of others that you can't control, by the way, instead of making sure that your life is right before God. You are so aware of your rights and so unaware of how God is trying to work in your life. So aware of what you want, but so unaware of what it's going to cost you down the road. Some of you in here, you're unaware in your parenting. You know, I'm going to try a new parenting technique. Look, 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 look. Have, have there been generations of parental failures? Come on. Have there been generations of parental failures? Have there been fathers that were emotionally detached and physically abusive? Have there been mothers that were selfish and neglectful? Are those things true? 
Absolutely. But the failures of humans do not negate the truth and the proven effectiveness of the timeless principles of parenting in the Word of God. Like, I'm going to do something new and different. You're unaware of how unaware you are and what it will reap in your children. And sometimes dads and moms, we, we get angry before we even know what's going on in our kids' lives. You want to assess and declare judgment and tell them what they are and what they're going through and you don't even understand what they're going through. Because you spend more time on your phone and your retirement and your investment and your passion than you do getting to know your own children. You're unaware. You think, no, I got a beat on this. No, you really don't sometimes. You're unaware in your marriage. You stand up and say, this is my, mar- th- this is my wife's problem. Stand up and say, this is my husband's problem. Well, how aware of you are where you're falling short? Unaware in habits. No, I'm convinced. People, man, if we only had 10 people in here, I would still be convinced of this. The percentages indicate there are people in here, you're flirting with vice that down the road can be very destructive. You're flirting with carelessness and you allow yourselves privileges and accesses that you know are dangerous. And yet in your mind, you convince yourself, I've got this, it's under control, I can handle this. A little drinking isn't gonna turn into more drinking. A little drug use isn't gonna turn into more drug use. A little pornography isn't going to turn into a life of habit and uncontrollable impulse reaction. No, you've convinced yourself, I can handle it, but the truth is, you're unaware. Talk about your attitude. Man, I'm amazed at people that want to tell somebody else what they're doing wrong with a bad attitude. (laughs) No, I've been guilty of it. So here's the last point, how to be aware of your unawareness. It'd be a bummer to do all this and then just tell you, you're unaware, bye. Peace out. How can we be unawareness just from this text? Well, number one, let's do this. Stop justifying things that you aren't even fully awake to yet. Okay, I'm not having to stretch the text here. Peter woke up partially the way through this event. Maybe before he started declaring anything, he should have said, hey, did I miss anything? No, I've been guilty of this. I come home, and I'm mad about something, and I don't even know what transpired to cause things to be the way that they were. No, I'm guilty of that. I come to a conclusion about a direction in somebody's life, and I haven't even taken the time to ask the questions yet. Why is it going that way? And I know that I'm not the only one who's flawed there. You think because you're, you have partial information means you have all the information. Think young people, you need to have that same kind of demeanor with your kids. You don't know everything that they go through. You don't know every pressure that they have. And rather than constantly pushing back against them, why don't you appreciate the fact that they're in a very important position of being accountable to God for how they raise you? Number two, admit that we can be unaware of our unawareness. Just admit it. Here's what, okay, driving this is really important. Look, it's really important. Blind spots. 
You know, in the new vehicles, they've got the lights that come on on the side view mirrors. You can get dependent on those, as though elect electronics never fail. You get lazy. You got that rear view camera. You don't make the habit of turning around. Man, you need, look, 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 just admit, I can have some blind spots in my life. No, it's possible that you and all of your wisdom and experience and virtue have some blind spots in your life. Number three, learn to ask the right questions of the right sources. Look, I'm trying to wrap this up. Stay with me, please. Young people, other 15-year-olds don't have more wisdom. Yeah, I'm making eye contact. Dude, I thought I was a genius when I was 13. I thought I was even more of a genius when I was 16. Thought my parents were lame. They don't know what they're talking about. And I should be allowed to do and wear and say and listen to whatever I want to. And we affirm ourselves in this vacuum with other voices in the same place. Look, you need to learn how to ask the right questions to the right people. How about this? This has been forsaken in our culture, but how about this? Start with, man, I'm in a church with people who actually have a job. I love how much wisdom teenagers have, and they don't even have a job yet. You're not even paying bills yet. Like, no, I, I have... I have to help out sometimes. That's not the same as paying a mortgage and paying for car insurance when you drive. Man I'm, I'm, man, I'm feeling it right now. Some of you parents, I'm wondering why you're not saying amen more. Let's start with somebody who actually has a job, who's been there before. Well, they don't understand me. Yeah, but they probably have some wisdom that could be a help to you. Hey, what's good for young people is good for the moms and dads of the young people, too. Man, I, I, I look at the Royal Heirs class. I look at people like Don and Jerry, like Scott and Bev, like, uh, like others in there. And, and you're in your 30s, and you got some marriage issues. Why don't you go talk to somebody? Well, they've never had marriage problems. Really? 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 Well, not the same as me. I mean, Brian and Kim Johnson basically walk around here with halos on their head. I know they've never struggled with anything. They practically have the Bible memorized. They've never had a flaw. Well, instead of assuming that, why don't you just go ask them? Just go ask them. Hey, you're, you're single and in your 20s and you're wondering, man, how do, how do I pursue a right relationship? And, and what if it's hard? And what if it doesn't come when I want it to? Why don't you find a lady like Megan Johnson who's lived a very successful, influential, God-honoring life as a single woman? Did you do that? And instead of declaring everything you know, how about you just say, hey, could you help me understand some things? Yeah, it would be good. Last thing. Stop talking and let Jesus talk. We have claimed far more expertise over our lives than we allow God to have. I love what God said about the son. Hear him you know what he was saying Peter quit talking no really Peter quit talking you know you know sometimes husbands and wives need to stop arguing so much and just let God talk to them 
Instead of declaring that you know the rightness of your direction, why don't you just look at what the Bible has to say and go through the process like he says to go through it and let God have more say in your life than your own expertise. Now, this is, they, people say, no, pastor, I've prayed about this. Okay, what does that mean? You've prayed about it as in you want God to affirm what you want? Or you've prayed about it as in, God, I might have some blind spots. I might have some things I'm not considering. And my heart really wants this. And what I want isn't necessarily a bad idea. But I really need to know what you have to say through godly counsel. And especially through the counsel of your word. Let Jesus talk to you. Stop being unaware that you really aren't aware. You know what the greatest unawareness is? That we're good with God and going to heaven. No, God loves everybody, and he doesn't want anybody to go to hell. No, I believe that. No, I believe that. But just because God wants that doesn't mean that's what's going to happen. Look, look, people, people don't spend eternity in judgment because of a particular sin. It is, it is right. It is right. Except for this sin, I don't want Jesus. No, when you get Jesus, he'll change your perspective about everything that needs to be changed. But it's through Jesus. And there are people that are living and dying without awareness that they are very unaware. And they're like, well, I tried to do good, and my good outweighed my bad. And I thought that if I went to church or I went through a religious ceremony or if I said enough prayers, no, salvation is not in religious process. Salvation is in a relationship with Jesus Christ. And it's not something you get your way. It's something you humbly come to him and acknowledge, I'm a sinner, you're the Savior, and I'm putting my faith in you. And the moment you do that, he gives it to you be aware of your unawareness. Stop being unaware that you aren't aware. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. Every head bowed, every eye closed. I'll ask one question. Cover it all. Is there anyone here this morning that would say, by raising your hand, there are areas where I am unaware that I am not aware. I think that I'm aware. I think I've got a handle on it. But the truth is, I could, I could have some serious blind spots that I am not aware of. There are attitudes, there are directions, there are declarations, there are patterns, there are thought processes that point to the fact that I am not aware of how unaware I am. And it's possible I need God to help my awareness this morning. And I just, I need, I need to spend some time responding to him. Would you raise your hand before the Lord and say, ask me, yeah, I've seen, I've seen him all over the place. God bless you. Can we do this if he really did talk to you? Then give him the courtesy of responding to him. Nobody's going to bug you. If you want someone to pray with you, if you have a question, come and get my attention. But nobody is going to do anything weird. But we call this an invitation. It's an invitation to talk to God. And so if God has spoken to you this morning, you respond to him. Let's stand together, Brother Nate. Start singing, please. Lord, help us to be honest about our unawareness. In Jesus' name, amen. While we sing, you respond to the Lord.